What is culture without life? In our cultural program, we will discuss about the power of culture to change the comprehensions and the actions of our lives. Music, cinema, painting, books, photography, poetry, and more and more. If you want to discover more about them, we invite you to join us every Friday from 10 to 12 on Mushtar FM 89.6. Good morning, dear listeners. This is Friday cultural program, and today in the studio, Irina. And Julia. Hello, lovers of culture and maybe some music. And we are going to talk about classic music today. I think it's hard to imagine an individual who have never listened to classic music because classic music is around us and classical music has defined the development of different cultures and of course it will be always with us. And today we are going to talk about history, famous composers who changed the world, I can say not only world of music maybe. Also about interesting facts and our own preferences and experience maybe. Yeah, I agree because classical music is very special sphere and maybe now it can seem that it's not popular but actually classical music will be like forever and it has this special sense because classical music is a special direction and it was created we can say in the best traditions of rhythm of harmony and European composers started it it has to be like that but of course classical music takes its roots even in the middle age but what is the aim of classical music and first of all by the way question Irina what do you feel when you listen to some classical composers classical music and when do you like to listen to it hmm. it's a good question because uh, actually I don't know how to explain it because I think I feel power and uh, special energy, special vibes. And of course, classic music is some special part of music and everything took the beginning from classic music, I think. It's beautiful. It uh, can bring you to the heaven <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> But I don't know, I think when we have special mood, maybe we can feel it much better and enjoy it. I don't think it's music for every day. Yes. But for some people I can say it's absolutely normal and typical to listen to it in daily life. Yes, all that you have said is true because the main aim of classical music is to evoke to cause some special emotions maybe memories and it's not familiar with any other kind of music I mean this special condition when you listen to it and that's why I think also people visit special concerts because you enter the beautiful hall and the professional musicians perform it for you and you're in a really, really special mood, as you said. But what about history? If we're talking about history of classical music, we can say that until the 19th century, classical music was created, by the way, for wealthy and educated sections of the population. So that time this music wasn't allowed, like wasn't available for everyone. So 
rich and well-educated people could appreciate it and could allow it for themselves. But in the 20th century, the situation was changing and the widest masses of the population began to reach out to art, to be more close to education and to music. And that's how classical works became widespread and ceased to be even their characteristics of high society. And that time, almost everyone could afford to listen to it. The concept of classical music is very, very broad and multifaceted. And if we are talking in some special terms, we can say that classical music is the best example of musical art of different genres. As a rule, they are based on academic genres and forms like symphony, opera, oratorio, sonata, prelude, suite, orature, and some others. And historically, these genres were formed in Europe from 17th till 19th century, the base we can find these times. But of course, there were some other periods and we can go from Renaissance. Renaissance was the longest period of the history of classical music and it is covering 15th, 17th century. So from uh, 1400 years to 1600 years. And this era of Renaissance and the rapid development of art, which left in the world's musical tradition, the works of such composers as Thomas Louis de Victoria, Giovanni da Palestine, Thomas Tallis, included also even Shakespeare's music. I think the most sunny and maybe bright is the Baroque era. It's the period from 17th century to the end of 18th century, and it was following the Renaissance, but it's characterized by more complex musical forms and the emergence of new genres, variety of genres and kind of polyphony. So it was during the Baroque era that opera, flourished and the composers who have been listening and inheriting to this day have become very popular. Johann Sebastian Bach we know, Antonio Vivaldi of course, and George Friedrich Handel. The next period of classical music was classicism and this era actually is very very limited, so the short period of time from 1750s till 1830s years. And the most popular names of the composers, of course, the Vienna School, Mozart, Haydn, Beethoven, we know them all. And how can we distinguish this musical canon? I mean, the canon of classical music. Uh, most of scientists say that the first third of the 20th century it was the period when the musical canon was created. And why did it happen? Because the, the origins of this process must be sought in the middle of the 19th century, when people began to be interested in what happened in the past. And that's how they distinguished this like ancient classical music from what was actual for them that time. But nowadays we can say that 
I think for us, classical music don't have time. I mean, we never think about it, which century it was or which special country. Because when I hear all these names, Beethoven, Mozart, Vivaldi, I don't know, even Tchaikovsky, I just think about this, like about the phenomenon of the music. To be honest, I really don't care about the origin, I mean the country. I just maybe love some music, some kind of melody. And that's how I choose, like, my composer. What can you say, Ira? How do you choose your composer? And do you have the favorite ones? I a little bit disagree because I think you can hear the difference between musicians, classical musicians from different countries and also difference between centuries in which uh, they played. I mean, Bach, for example, it's more close to, to the church, church, I think. And medieval age spirit. And I also love organ and I visited concerts of organ music and and as I know there are concerts of organ music here in Nerithaza. Oh. Sometimes they play in the main church and the main square and I would like to visit it because when I listened to organ it was a little bit different because as I know there is no the same organs in the world. Mm-hmm. I mean every organ is totally Very special. special and every organ sounds different and also the place where you play organ matters because of acoustic, because of size of the place and other factors. And I was in a local philharmonic in my city, in my native town. It was pretty interesting, but I can say that when I listen to organ in church, it's totally different. And that's why I would like to visit concert here. But I like Bach, like I said. And of course, I love Russian classic music. I love Tchaikovsky. I like the five and Russian operas, Russian ballads for me it's a huge part of culture of the world culture and of course for me it's something special and I'm proud to be <laughs> a part. part of this culture and for me it also sounds different and Italian opera, Italian composers and German composers. I think we can notice the difference. No, the difference, yes. What I would like to say, maybe I'm not too precise, that this music will be like always, will be standing not separately but at some special place and it doesn't matter which kind of country or composer it is, it is really precious and it is very, very special. And you can find uh, your own composer in any country, I think, in any period of time. I think that that was my thought, that this period of music, classical music, will be like always up to date because it has some special, I don't know, melodies or even sense because each of these pieces of art has its own sense and I think all these types of music, they are connected more with the biography of this composer or that composer because they also like put their own thoughts and even soul into this music. Yes, and you know, I just recognized that for me, German music is about power. 
Italian classic music is about, I don't know, melody, romanticism maybe, mm, and yes. Russian is about spirits, something spiritual. Yes, I agree, because, for example, we can make the battle between Bach and Vivaldi, for example, because Bach, yes, as you said, he was from Germany and he was the contrast to Catholic Italy. Catholic Italy and especially Vivaldi's music is very pure, very positive, sunny and it's Baroque. Actually, it's Italian Baroque. And that's why Vivaldi was writing kind of hedonistic music and it's very spiritual and this genre, his genre was even flirting with opera. So that's kind of Italians, how Italian guys produce everything. Bach, yes, he was very, very close to church. He was a very religious person. And that's why his music so powerful and so special and totally very, very contrast to, for example, Italian music, Vivaldi's music. And Vivaldi's music is, I think, very typical for this time, for the style of Baroque, because it's elegant, energetic, I think, even driving. And sometimes I can compare it maybe even to rock and roll, <laughs> because he's, he's uh, quite like funny, full of positive melodies in his tunes, even if it's, I don't know, even if it's some music for opera or something else. So yes, I agree. Different composers, different styles, and it's very interesting to listen to all of them and to compare. Okay, but if you started to talk more about Italian and German music, I would like to talk more about Russian music and about my favorite Russian composer, Pyotr Ilyichikovsky. He is Russian composer of the Romantic period. He was the first Russian composer whose music made a lasting impression internationally. He was honored in 1884 by Tsar Alexander III and awarded a lifetime pension, by the way. <laughs> Although musically precocious, Tchaikovsky was educated for a career as a civil servant. There was scant opportunity for a musical career in Russia at the time and no system of public music education. When an opportunity for such an education arose, he entered the nascent St. Petersburg Conservatory, from which he graduated in 1865. The formal Western-oriented teaching what he received there set him apart from composers of the contemporary nationalist movement embodied by the Russian composers of the five with whom his professional relationship was mixed. Tchaikovsky's training set him on a path to reconcile that he had learned with the native musical practices to which he had been exposed from childhood. From that reconciliation, he forget a personal but unmistakably Russian style. The principles that governed melody, harmony and other fundamentals of Russian music ran completely counter to those that governed Western European music, which seemed to defeat the potential for using Russian music in large-scale Western composition or for forming a composite style. And it caused personal antipathies that dented Tchaikovsky's self-confidence, Russian culture 
exhibited a split personality with its native and adopted elements having drifted apart increasingly since the time of Peter the Great. That resulted in a certain among the intelligentsia about the country's national identity and ambiguity mirrored in Tchaikovsky's career. Despite his many popular successes, Tchaikovsky's life was punctuated by personal crises and depression. Contributory factors included his early separation from his mother for boarding school followed by his mother's early death, the death of his close friend and colleague Nikolai Rubinstein, and the collapse of the one enduring relationship of his adult life, his 13-year association with the wealthy widow Nadezhda von Meck, who was his patron even thought they never actually met each other. Also, his homosexuality, as we know. Mm. Oh, actually, I never heard about it. I mean, wasn't so deep into his biography. <laughs> yeah, because actually it was, of course, kept private. Yeah. But I think it's not news already. But anyway, if someone doesn't know, now you know. Tchaikovsky sudden death at the age of 53 actually is really early death, unfortunately. But anyway, he left rich and heritage. But in that time, while his music has remained popular among audiences, critical opinions were initially mixed. Some Russians did not feel it was sufficiently representative of native musical values and expressed suspicion that Europeans accepted the music for its Western elements. In an apparent reinforcement of the later claim, some Europeans lauded Tchaikovsky for offering music more substantive than bass exoticism and said he transcended stereotypes of Russian classical music. Others dismissed Tchaikovsky Tchaikovsky's music as lacking in elevated thought and derided its formal workings as deficient because they didn't stringently follow Western principles. Tchaikovsky displayed a wide stylistic and emotional range from light sound works to grand symphonies. Some of his works, such as the variations on a Rococo theme, employ a classical form reminiscent, reminiscent of 18th century composers, such as Mozart, his favorite composer, by the way, other compositions such as his Little Russian Symphony and his opera Vakula the Smith flirt with musical practices more akin to those of the five, especially in their use of folk song. Other works such as Tchaikovsky's last three symphonies employ a personal musical idiom that facilitated intense emotional expression. American music critic and journalist Harold Schoenberg wrote of Tchaikovsky's sweet, inexhaustible, supersensuous fount of melody, a feature that has ensured his music's continued success with audiences. Tchaikovsky's complete range of melodic styles was as wide as that of his compositions. Sometimes he used Western-style melodies, sometimes original melodies written in the style of Russian folk song, sometimes he used actual folk songs. According to the new growth, Tchaikovsky's melodic gift could also become his work enemy in two ways. The first challenge arose from his ethic heritage. Unlike Western themes, the melodies that Russian composers wrote tended to be self-contained. They functioned with a mindset of stasis and repetition rather than one of 
progress and ongoing development. On a technical level, it made modulating to a new key to introducing Constantin second tendency exceedingly difficult, as this was literally a foreign concept that didn't exist in Russian music. But the second way melody worked against Tchaikovsky was a challenge that he shared with the majority of Romantic Age composers. They didn't write in the regular symmetrical melodic shapes that worked well with sonata form such as was favored by classical composers, such as Gaiden, Mozart or Beethoven, but were complete and independent in themselves. So, from the one way, Tchaikovsky was Russian, but he took not only Russian traditions, he took also Western Europe traditions. And he was criticized for that, of course, how always it happened <laughs> yes, unfortunately. <laughs> in Russia when you take something from the West. But finally, I think it was like really important part which made Tchaikovsky Tchaikovsky. <laughs> yes, like if our listeners understand. So yes, Tchaikovsky makes himself. <laughs> And also, I would like to say shortly about aesthetic impact. Regardless of what he was writing, Tchaikovsky's main concern was how his music impacted his listeners on an aesthetic level at specific moments in the piece and on a cumulative level once the music had finished. What his listeners experienced on an emotional or visceral level became and the end in itself. Tchaikovsky's focus on pleasing his audience might be considered closer to that of Mendelssohn or Mozart, considering that he lived and worked in what was probably the last 19th century feudal nation. The statement is not actually that surprising. And yet, even then, writing so-called program music, for example, his Romeo and Juliet fantasy overture, he cast it in sonata form. His use of style stylist 18th century melodies and patriotic themes was geared toward the values of Russian aristocracy. He was aided in his in this by Ivan Sivalozhsky, who commissioned The Sleeping Beauty from Tchaikovsky and the libretto for The Queen of Spades from Modest, with their use of 18th century settings stipulated firmly. Tchaikovsky also used the Polonaise frequently, the dance being a musical code for the Romanov dynasty and a symbol of Russian patriotism. Using it in the final of a work could assure its success with Russian listeners. Yulia. I would like to ask you, what do you think about Pyotr Lichikovsky and do you have your favorite opera, symphony, I don't know, something <laughs> created by him? It's difficult because when I listen to classical music, to be honest, I don't know the names of the pieces of art. I mean, yes, I check it in my playlist, but when I listen to the music, it is more important for me what this melody causes in my mind and yes for sure Tchaikovsky is a key figure in Russian classical music school if we can say like that but it's just from Russia and what I hear in his music that actually it has Russian soul and it's close for me it's similar I can understand it and that's how I feel it but I think you are like more experienced lover of Tchaikovsky and his music what you can say about it but you have never visited 
Dano Tracker when you were child? Oh, no, unfortunately not. I have never been there. But I bet you have watched cartoon. Oh, yes, <laughs> yes. And cartoon consists Tchaikovsky music too. It's impressive. It's even a bit maybe scaring because the story is actually very complicated and connected with deep emotions. And yes... That's why I think it's easy to understand Tchaikovsky's music because it's close to our emotions or some situations we have been to. I can't say that Nutcracker is my favorite one because I prefer more light, I mean more bright as, for example, Italian Baroque. And I love, to be honest, more Vivaldi's music that way. I mean, to listen to it for hours maybe. And even at home I had a special disc with Vivaldi's music and I think... I still have it. Really, I remember even the cover of this disc and I loved to listen to it when I was in the high school. It was for me very, very important to listen in the end of the week to feel this special mood and to feel myself with this beautiful music. But walls of flowers. I don't know what mm. can be lighter. <laughs> I don't know really. I don't like the story of the Nutcracker to be honest. For me, it's too... I don't know. I even I watched some other films. Yes, of course, it's not the same. But I just... It's not my type of story, really. That's why I don't feel so excited about it. But it's really worth to watch it, to listen to it, because it's the piece of art. It's the masterpiece, and everyone knows it. And you should really watch it. No, I have a plan to visit the Nutcracker, maybe in Moscow, in the Kremlin one day. I'm sure that it will happen, but I'm not too much excited about it. But I would like to recommend you and our listeners to visit it. And I can say that in Novosibirsk, in the Oprahland Bad Theatre, which is one of the biggest in Russia, and as I know, the biggest in Asian part of Russia at least, it's like must-visit place before New Year Eve and it's really complicated to buy tickets uh, to Nutracker and the ballot has a special place in uh, schedule because it has really beautiful and very expensive decoration and also costumes for dancers and if you want to feel spirit of New Year Eve, I would like to say that in Russia, New Year Eve is much more <laughs> important than yes, uh, Christmas yeah, that's true. Uh, but if you want to feel it, to enjoy, to feel the spirit you have to go and to watch this ballet and I think it's not about storyline it's about music still and uh, music is magical and I think really it's the best time to go to the Nutracker before New Year Eve. <laughs> yeah, maybe I didn't feel the special atmosphere so I should do it before the New Year's Eve. But yes, still Tchaikovsky is a very important figure in I think not only Russian classical music but all over the world. And I would like to talk about Ferenc Liszt because now we are living in Hungary and I'm trying to understand understand a bit more about this country and about interesting people who were born here or who were very famous here. And by the way, we came here to the airport of Budapest and it's named after Ferenc Liszt. So now we will know some more facts about his life, biography and of course the story of his music. Ferenc Liszt was
was the only son in the family of Anna Maria and Georg Adam Liszt. And he was born in October of 1811. So, as you said, Tchaikovsky didn't have this destiny. He had to become the state servant. But Ferenc Liszt was destined to become a great musician. But first, a bit about his father. His father, Georg Adam Liszt, was their caretaker for the sheep herd, who served on the estate of Prince Esterhazy. And at that time, Adam's position was quite respectable, because the herd of sheep was the main indicator of the wealth that times. But what interesting that the range of his interests was not only sheep, <laughs> but he was really close to art. And Adam joined the music and even he was playing the silo. And of course it's because the princess Terhazi, his host, was fond of music and he had some concerts at his home. And that's why father decided to help Ferenc because Ferenc was very early introduced to different music studies and the boy found this lively response in his soul. That's why Adam gave his son some trainings in organ and church singing. And to say honestly, Ferenc made great strides and his father was very seriously thinking about how to promote his son, I mean how to help him. And he managed to organize this. The eight-year-old Ferenc began to give small concerts in the homes of noble families. And of course he was winning the hearts of his listeners. So that was the assertion appeared that the world soon receive a new Mozart. The father decided to change their life like for 100% and that's how they moved to the capital of Austria. In 1821 he, with all the family, with wife and with son, they moved to Vienna. Adam decided to give Ferenc the best musical education and, of course, the talent and the dedication to his work helped Ferenc to conquer a lot of hearts of spectators, inhabitants and also the masters of musical art. That's how he was taken to teach absolutely free by Karl Czerny. Karl Czerny was an Austrian composer. Originally he was from the Czech Republic. And also Antonio Salieri himself gave him absolutely free classes about the theory of music. Of course, Ferenc Liszt was starting to give more and more concerts and after one, even Beethoven himself kissed the boy. So such a recognition gave Liszt even more self-confidence and inspiration to conquer new peaks and in 1923 he attempted to enter the conservatory in Paris. But unfortunately he hadn't have any chance because that time only Frenchmen were accepted for trainings. But still this failure didn't break his dreams and all the family stayed in Paris and Ferenc just began to earn money by his performances and success came. Ferenc was honored to play for members of the French royal family. That's how his first steps began and it is really an amazing story. It seems that everything was 
so easy, but not. The unexpected death of his father in 1827 really made Ferenc felt very, very sad and desperate. And for several years, he spent the time in very repressed loneliness. And finally, he got out of this situation in 1830, so after three years after his father's death, because some revolutionary events forced Liszt him to wake up and to continue his life, his concert activity. And we can say that during this period, some special style of Ferenc Liszt has appeared because the situation with his father, of course, influenced him. And now we can say about this, you know, mysterious mood in his musical art. And what is very important during this period of time, very influenced and very important personalities appeared in his life, such names as Georges Sand, Hugo, Delacroix, Balzac. Of course, they were both the inspiration of Ernst Liszt and even the supplement by literature and theater. So we can see that Ferenc was not only fond of music, he was really wide-ranged, wide-educated person. And later, in 1837, the composer has begun to journey. first country he visited was Switzerland, and there he started to be a teacher in the Conservatory of Geneva. Also, sometimes he went back to Paris with some concerts. And later, he came to Italy. He had tours in different cities, and of course, all the people loved him, and he had a lot of fans, if we can say like that in these countries. And during the 10 years Ferenc Liszt visited all the Europe. He also went back to his original country, Hungary, and he was taken there very warm and all the people were applauding him. Ferenc was like on the top of his career. So he visited Austria, also Spain, Portugal, Turkey, and even Russia. And this was his best, best period of professional life. But we can't say about his personal life the same. Because if you listen to his music, you will find these special mysterious motives, which I said about before. Because he had two sets of love stories, I can say. So from first wife, he had three children, two daughters and one son. And unfortunately, his son died at the age of 20 from the disease. And after his first marriage, he found the love of his life, Carolina. But this story was also very difficult because Carolina had a husband and her husband didn't give her the divorce. And when everything was settled, Carolina just rejected to get married again with Ferenc. And till his last days, they had only kind of platinum relationship and they only texted each other by mail. That's how this mysterious thoughts has opened in his music. And if we listen to his play, he was playing the piano, we really can find it. So his music is a bit unusual. And I can't say that I loved it totally. I think you maybe you should be also in some special mood or maybe when you feel, I don't know, sad or upset, you will find some motives which you will understand at this special period of time but as for me it is mm, definitely not for every like every day every week listening 
But what's also interesting about Ferenc Liszt that he was destined to become the composer and one fact helped him to reach such, we can say, top of musical career. Ferenc Liszt had very special building of his wrist. So that's why he could easily play the piano and that's a really amazing figure in Hungarian culture. But still everyone knows Ferenc Liszt and he gave his last concert just before two weeks before his death. So till his final days he was working and he was absolutely loyal to his musical career, the business, the deal of his life. Interesting story, really. For me, it was interesting that his love stories influenced him so much. And in the end of his life, he... Love always influenced. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and that's why maybe he came to Rome when he was 60. So his last years he spent there. And yes, he came to the church, of course. I mean, if we try to generalize that love influences us and yes after some failures people sometimes go to churches to monasteries so he finished his life like that but still his music is beautiful is very very important but for me it is quite complicated to understand but everyone can try it and can listen to it like taste and understand is it for you or not So we have today really international program about <laughs> composers from different, different countries. countries. Yeah. And now I would like to talk about classic music from France because we actually mm. didn't mention it. Oh, by the way. But not about composer, about his famous opera. I mean Carmen of Georges Bizet. This and that I can say here that Carmen can be my favorite one. I'm sorry for Tchaikovsky, but no. Carmen, for me, it's more passionate and more maybe captivating if we're talking about music. And we can hear in this melody the pathetic motifs, uh, very, very powerful motifs and notes. And this is the thing which make me feel totally different if we're talking about the Nutcracker. No, I think Carmen is more for me. <laughs> But yes, I can say that Carmen is my favorite. And if we talk about classic music, and when people ask me what is my favorite creation, I always can say surely that it's Carmen. I visited opera in Prague and also I visited ballet in my town. But I think the best thing which could happen with Carmen, <laughs> it's my Plesetska and I will talk about it too, but a little bit later because I would like to start from the opera. And it was a surprise for me that a libretto was written by Andri Meyak and Ludovic Halvi. So not only Georges Bizet created it. As we know, Carmen opera based on a novella of the same title by Prosper Merime. The opera was first performed by the opera Comique in Paris on 3rd March 1875, where its breaking of conventions shocked and scandalized its first audiences. Unfortunately, Bizet died suddenly after the 33rd performance, unaware what 
the work would achieve international acclaim within the following 10 years. Carmen has since become one of the most popular and frequently performed operas in the classical canon. The Habanera from Act 1 and the Torador song from Act 2 are among the best known of all operatic areas. The opera is written in the genre of opera comique, this uh, musical number separated by dialogue. It's set in southern Spain and tells the story of the downfall of Don Jose, a naive soldier who is seduced by the wheels of the fury gypsy Carmen. <laughs> Hasse abandons his childhood sweetheart and deserts from his military duties, yet loses Carmen's love to the glamorous Torero Escamillo, after which Hasse kills her in a jealous rage. And, dear listeners, I hope it's not spoiler. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think everyone knows the plot, but... You can feel some new emotions, I think, when you listen to it more and more and more. I think everyone is feeling excited. But, well, okay, I won't be so sure. I'm not excited about Tchaikovsky. Well, <laughs> so maybe somebody will not like Carmen. Yes, it's true. So, the depictions of proletarian life, immorality and lawlessness and the tragic death of the main character on stage broke new ground in French opera and were highly controversial. After the premiere, most reviews were critical and the French public was generally indifferent. Carmen initially gained its reputation through a series of productions outside France and was not reviewed in Paris until 1883. Thereafter, it rapidly acquired popularity at home and abroad. Later, commentators have asserted that Carmen forms the bridge between the tradition of opera comique and the realism or verismo that characterized late 19th century Italian opera. The music of Carmen has since been widely acclaimed for brilliance of melody, harmony, atmosphere and orchestration and for the skill with which Bizet musically represented the emotions and suffering of his characters. After the composer's death, the score was subject to significant amendment, including the introduction of recitative in place of the original dialogue. There is no standard edition of the opera and different views exist as to what versions best express Bizet's intentions. The opera has been recorded many times since the first acoustical recording in 1908 and the story has been the subject of many screen and stage adaptations. As for me, I can say that um, when I visited in Prague, I fell asleep. <laughs> like like old men near me just because I don't know I think it's really hard not to fall asleep when you listen to monotonic songs and that way of singing because actually Carmen is one of the opera where we know a lot of music a lot of sounds are very familiar for us because there are, you know, just famous arias from different operas. Mm -hmm. And this is all what we know about those operas. <laughs> yes. But Carmen is totally popular. I think um, everybody uh, knows at least 70% of music from that opera. But still, it's opera. And of course, it consists some 
long and monotonic areas, but it was really nice experience, uh, really cool anyway. But it was my first and last experience in opera <laughs> <laughs> because I prefer ballet. And Carmen Suite is a one-act ballet created in 1967 by Cuban choreographer Alberto Alonso to music by Russian composer Rodion Shedrin for his wife, prima ballerina Maya Plisetska. The premiere took place on 20th April 1967 in the Bolshoi Theater in Moscow. The music taken from the opera Carmen and arranged for strings and Percussion is not a 19th century pastiche, but rather a creative meeting of the minds, as Shedrin put it, with bizarre melodies reclosed in a variety of fresh instrumental colors, including the frequent use of percussion, set to new rhythms and often phrased with a great deal of sly wit. Initially banned by the Soviet hierarchy as disrespectful to the opera for pricelessly these qualities, the ballet has since become Shedrin's best-known work and has remained popular in the West for what reviewer James Sanderson calls an iconoclastic but highly entertaining retelling of Bizet's opera. So, how actually it happened that in Russia they could create so Novator's version of Carmen, so modern, contemporary, how we name it now. <laughs> yeah. Because if we watch ballet with Maya Plisetskaya, we can't believe that they could do it really in that period. And it really looks fresh, modern. And Maya Plisetskaya is just goddess. In late 1966, the ballet National de Cuba stopped in Moscow during its Soviet tour. Plisetskaya's mother attended its performances and encouraged her to go. Eventually, Plisetskaya approached the company's choreographer, Alberto Alonso, and told him of her desire for a Carmen ballet. Alonso developed the libretto and worked with ballet national dancers on the choreography, then flew to Moscow to teach the work to Plisetskaya. Shedrin watched her initial rehearsals with Alonso and agreed to write music for the ballet. But I think the most interesting fact that, first of all, Maya Plisetskaya came not to her husband, but to Dmitry Shostakovich and to ask him about to write music for ballet, but he said no. And he said that uh, she have to go to her husband. And finally, Rodion Shedrin did it. However, as much as he struggled to write an original score for this project, Shedrin found they could not extricate the story from the music that French composer Georges Bizet wrote for his opera of the same name. A score Shedrin called Fantastic, one of the best in the whole story of music. Eventually, Shedrin decided to exploit this connection in that he called a creative meeting of the minds. With Shostakovich's worlds in mind, Shedrin said, I had to combine something fresh with these famous melodies. From this motive came the idea to use just strings and percussion for the instrumentation, because then it's a totally modern combination. 
His intent was to give homage to what Bizet had done and acknowledge that the universality of this music in telling the story of Carmen while adding his own ideas to the work. And, of course, it couldn't be without any scandal <laughs> in yes, the Soviet Union yeah. period. The Bolshoi premiered Carmen's suit in 1967, but the fact that Bizet's music was so well known actually worked against its favor At first, Soviet Minister of Culture Ekaterina Furtseva was repelled by the modernist flavor given to the music and the sexual overtones of both the story and the title character. She banned the work immediately following its premiere as insulting to Bizet's masterpiece. Explaining this, Furtseva commented to Soviet media, we cannot allow them to make a whore out of Carmen. <laughs> the heroine of the Spanish people. But unfortunately for Furtseva, her words were taken as a joke among the Moscow public following the controversy. When she met privately at the Bolshoi with Plesetskaya and other members, Furtseva called Carmen Suite a great failure, the production raw, nothing but eroticism, the opera's music has been mutilated. The concept has to be rethought. I have grave doubts as to whether the ballot can be redone. But not long after the meeting with Furtseva, Shostakovich called the ministry about Carmen's suit. He told Furtseva that he considered the ballot both a masterly transcription and highly effective dance music. At this time, Shostakovich was first secretary of the Composers Union of the Russian Soviet Federative Socialistic Republic. This made him effectively leader of that union, even if it were not meant as an official call and regardless of his official position still being subservient to hers, the fact it was Shostakovich calling might have still carried some catch. Because of this personal intervention, the ban was lifted. Plisetskaya confessed in her autobiography that without Shostakovich's help, the ban of Carmen's suits might have remained permanent. But then history of Carmen's suite in Russia wasn't over because they still had problems with Ekaterina Furtseva, with uh, censorship and something like that. But anyway, now we have really our national treasure too because uh, the ballot with Maya Plisetska as a Carmen is one of the best part of Russian ballet, I think. That's true, and sometimes uh, <laughs> to get these masterpieces, people have to struggle with lots of different details, if we can say like that. But still, yes, the way of art is not the easiest one, I think. Even we were talking about today about different composers, and I had an example with Ferenc Liszt, who was destined to become the composer, but even he had his own difficulties, his personal stories, which influenced him so much, and his music. Yeah, classical music, that's why it is classical, it will never die, it will be always popular and up-to-date, because it has something special inside A lot of details, a lot of stories connected with this work or with this composer. And we, I think, 
listening to classical music, we knew more about culture and about the history of this work, of this composer, of his country, of all the other features which are connected with this story. I think that's uh, cool and that's the phenomenon of any piece of art and any kind of art. So it was a very interesting and hot discussion, I can say, <laughs> because we had different point of views. We had a lot of interesting information, but this field is still very, very huge. And if you want to know something more, dear listeners, you can text us actually in our Facebook group and you can leave your commentary. And of course, we are waiting for you next week, not only today on Mushtar FM and also on Anchor or any podcast platform you like to listen to us there. So see you in a week today in the studio where Julia and Irina and we say to you goodbye and we wish you a good classical weekend. Goodbye. Goodbye. What is culture without life? In our cultural program, we will discuss about the power of culture to change the comprehensions and the actions of our lives. Music, cinema, painting, books, photography, poetry, and more and more. If you want to discover more about them, we invite you to join us every Friday from 10 to 12 on Mushtar FM 89.6.